What is up team? Welcome back to the show. Today I am sharing a Q&A that I did once again with my good friend Jeff Hayne on his podcast, The Mind Muscle Connection. First and foremost, be sure to check out all Jeff's content, his podcast, all that is linked up in the show notes. Uh, this was a great conversation. We talked through my biggest lessons learned in a building phase and typically the things we push clients to focus on to make your building phase as productive as possible. Um, training differences between men and women. Should you or should you not track artificial sweeteners? Uh, Chad Ochocinco's diet and some other topics I know you're going to find super interesting. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and dive into the episode. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Mind Muscle Connection podcast. Today, I have Jeremiah Bear back on the episode, I think number six now. So Jeremiah, welcome back on, man. Hey, thank you for having me once again, dude. Yeah. Uh, so it's hasn't been too long uh, since we chatted, but any update on training or anything like that? Yeah, I think last time we talked, I was just, just trying to figure out who my next coach was. And I had a call with Alex Bush coming up. So I have just started working with him. Um, well, we've been working together like two and a half weeks now. So that's actually been a pretty different, um, it's been a big change of pace from what I was doing before. So we are currently in a neuro phase or a strength phase. So basically... And I mean, when he, like when, when he first said like a neural phase or a strength phase, I thought like it's going to be like starting strength or like a <laughs> strong list five by five or something like that, which sounds awful, but uh, that really wasn't, it's still somewhat feels like a hypertrophy training, but basically it is a little bit, the focus is more on increasing neurological efficiency or strength output. Right. So basically um, rather than like training in a traditional hypertrophy manner, the goal is, okay, we haven't, and this kind of ties into the concept of trainability, which is um, basically the longer we chase one specific adaptation, the less room we have to continue to grow and grow and progress in that, right? So the way they program is, well, it might make more sense for us to rather than not look at when you've been training. So like for me, I've been training for hypertrophy for a couple of years. So it makes sense that potentially, and like the results you see from that will slow down and slow down and slow down. Now, of course, like no matter what, we can't make it to like where you're making newbie gains all the time, unfortunately, but it would make sense for us to instead like look at, eventually it gets to the point where, okay, maybe your strength is the rate limiter. Or in this case, like I talked about Cody Moxley and for the lit for the because I typically share these on my podcast too. For the listeners listening, episode with Cody Moxley, we dove into this kind of concept of using these different phases pretty deep. But um, basically, your rate limiter could be for building muscle, could be eventually get to the point where it's not like, hey, we just need more hypertrophy stimulus, but rather like, hey, maybe you have trouble um, again, like expressing power. So, like a strength phase would be okay. So, as we focus on strength, and like getting stronger in like the five to seven rep range, for example, your body is going to get more efficient at recruiting more muscle fibers per rep than it was before. So then when we take that back to hypertrophy style of training, you'll be basically again able to recruit more muscle fibers per rep and get a little bit more out of all your sets. Or on the flip side, like maybe it turns into a point where, okay, really what's limiting you is your work capacity, 
right? Maybe you just get gassed out during your training. So we need to push you into a, a metabolic phase where we're focusing on bringing that up. And then when you go back to hypertrophy again, you have more room to make more progress without one of these things being the rate limiter. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the thought process behind it. Basically following uh, upper to lower, upper to lower delts split. So I have one day that's entirely delts, which is awesome. Um, and it's been a very long time since I've done that. Uh, but it's been super fun. And then goals right now are to build my upper back and quads. And yeah, that's what I'm doing with my training currently. I'm trying to get those quads like you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Got a ways to go though. <laughs> well, I, you, you know, I barely train those things. So, uh, which I'm not, I'm not upset about, dude. I hate training legs to be honest. <laughs> I feel um, but that that's interesting. So I guess the goal, like basically I'm assuming he just kind of, is this based off what he, he has like some assessment that he goes off of and then he's like, okay, this is what you need to work on. Or is it more like pre-planned, like for, for all clients there? Like, Hey, go ahead. so I think it's, I mean, it's basically we talked through my training history and then I laid out very in depth, like what I had been doing over the last few years, where it was coming from. So I think it's more like a perceived, uh, more like a perception of based on my last couple of years, what's probably low, low hanging fruit more than anything else. Yeah. And then, and then there is some like hypertrophy work still in it and it's mostly just geared towards like you said you're in a neuro phase so it's mostly geared towards that but a little bit of hypertrophy sprinkled in or yeah i mean i'm so i'm doing a following like an ascending rep scheme so it'll be like okay so i'm doing a hack squat for four sets of seven seven five five and across each set you are um getting a little bit closer to failure so maybe first set is three rir last set's one rir and then the goal is to add a little bit of load each set. So most things are like that. And then like, if I'm going to do like a lateral raise or a bicep curl, it's, it'll be like maybe eight to 10 reps. So there's still some cool hypertrophy work, but it is still like a good bit lower rep ranges than I'm used to. Yeah. That's interesting. It's, you know, I, when you were training with Steve, like you said, he, his stuff resembles a lot of Renaissance periodization type stuff. And that's stuff that we're, you know, that I've been focused on a lot and, you know, hearing like you train like this, it's just interesting to hear a different style of training. And I think that was ultimately your main goal with doing this. Correct. Was to just get a little bit of a different style of training. Oh, hundred percent. And yeah, that's anytime we're with a different coaches, just, I want to make sure that we're giving our clients the best service possible. And I will say for sure, there will be, probably some things within your programming, which you know might be a push for you, but there are some <laughs> things that we'll do. It'll probably, I'll probably pull from this and implement different things. Cause again, I, I do, I think there's always more you can learn, right? Like there's not just one way of doing things. And um, I just wanted to make sure more than anything else that I wasn't like leaving anything on the table with my own programming. And I have had a lot of people on the show lately talking about all these different like, all these different phases and how they can yield better results. So first and foremost, I want to like be coached through that firsthand um, to make sure I fully understood it. And then if there are like things we're missing for clients, then I want to make sure we, we learn how to do that shit and apply it. Right. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah. There, there is a lot out there and I think you can definitely get caught up in uh, a bubble and, and that's all that you think there is, but there's a, there's a ton out right. there, but yeah, I had Alex on a couple weeks ago and, really smart guy. And, um, he seems like he's real big into exercise execution and he's, and and he's, I think he does some stuff with N1 too, right? Like he's kind of, so 
Yeah, cool. Awesome, man. Well, again, uh, looking forward to continuing to hear about that. And then obviously, like you said, finding out what's going to be uh, in the program from it. So uh, basically, yeah. So I guess what we'll what we'll do now is dive into the questions. So we got some questions. Uh, you ready for you ready for them? I did. Let's get it. Cool. All right. So the first one comes uh, from a client. She said she was listening to a podcast with Menno Henselman and uh, Jeff Neppert, and they were talking about differences between training programs and abilities in men and women. Um, and she was just interested if, you know, just to kind of hear our thoughts on if we had from our own like practical experience of working with clients and clients that, you know, yeah, that we've worked with on how you may program differently for women. Um, and then particularly how the science talks, like you said a, a lot about how the science talks about volume being greater in, in women. So really just, I guess, to sum that up is just anything that you notice differently for training or programming for female uh, tr- trainees. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, if you look at the physiological differences, obviously there are some hormonal differences. Um, Increase in the larger amount of estrogen that women have, I believe is the primary thing that typically allows them to recover. So I think women typically are going to have a little bit better recovery ability than men. Um, And then if we look at like within a single set, men have a greater ability to like use an overall percentage of their strength like per rep but because of that so whereas so like that being men could like crush a one rep max and probably do use a greater percentage of their overall strength than a woman could generally but on the flip side what that means is women can typically will have more endurance with any given weight and can do more reps because again they're using like less overall musculature um so women can typically like with any given weight like a a man might be able to lift set weight more explosively but a woman could lift set weight for more reps and longer right so i mean if we look at physiological differences those are the two primary ones and again like that increased recovery now i think this is something that can get overplayed a little bit Uh, like i don't it's never like hey most dudes can do two sets of volume two sets per this movement and women are going to do six to seven but i will say anecdotally as well and i'd be interested to hear your thoughts here when it comes to volume and number of sets that you're programming i would say typically there's going to be okay, most men are going to do very, very well with, we're going to do three to sometimes we're tiptoeing into like four sets per movement, like per training day. And again, those are very generalized numbers. Of course it depends. Whereas women are like pushed up to that tend to like be able to recover and progress. And even sometimes need that like fourth set a little bit more frequently, but I would say like past that, it's not like there's a huge disparity in volume where, and this is just what I've seen anecdotally. But I mean, we compare everyone's numbers week to week, how you're progressing. Do you need to do more or less the same? And I would say like, it is more common that like maybe women need an extra set to progress versus men. But I don't think that should just be a set and stone rule. Like, Hey, because you're a woman, you should always do at least four sets of X movement. What are, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree. I, I think from everything that I've learned, it, you know, it does seem like, you know, females can recover quicker, um, you know, therefore they can probably do a little bit more volume because of that. And then, you know, like, you know, I think my understanding of it too, is men have more, uh, a greater percentage of type two fibers, which are, you know, they fatigue quicker. Um, and so again, you have that going on, but yeah, I, I, I agree that 
females just seem to recover faster and they can just handle more volume. Uh, I, I, and I'm assuming it's mainly because of that. Uh, but yeah, it seems like when you program for clients, like I also notice client, like female clients, they, they are able to like maintain their reps, like throughout all their sets too. Whereas I feel like men, I kind of drop off a little bit quicker too, where it's like maybe like 10, eight, seven, or, but for females, it's like 10, 10, 10, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And that, that is an interesting thing as well. And even I know that was something that I had to make sure that I was differentiating. And that's a good point. Cause that's one of the biggest differences I see. Like most men, if we say, Hey, do a hack squat, three sets of seven to 10 to one RIR, as you said, if you're truly hitting that RIR target on all three sets, typically there's going to be some fall off, right? It'll be like 10, eight, seven. Whereas most women could, again, and women will recover a little bit quicker between sets as well because of that, or more often able to like hit 10, 10, 10, right? Um, I would say, and none of this is to like make generalizations, but I would say on the flip side, oftentimes like a lot of men lift heavier than they should and a lot of women lift lighter than they should, right? Like I would say most women are very, very good with technique and it's, and again, just anecdotally, and it's, Hey, we need to actually push you to lift heavier load. And that's a lot of times where I will like literally, Hey, I saw your deadlift video this week. I want you to literally add like 15 to 20 pounds to that because you can do so much more than that. Whereas a lot of dudes it's, Hey, I saw your deadlift video this week. I want you to drop like 30 pounds. <laughs> You're just trying to lift heavy ass weight and your form is terrible. Right? So it's, and again, that's all anecdote, but I think that's part of it too. And I don't, I can't say no. I don't know if it's just the culture. I don't, I don't, I don't know why that is, but that's pretty common as well. Yeah. That, that is a good point too, that <laughs> you have to tell the guys that kind of drop the weight females. It's like, Hey, you know, we probably need to add a little bit more weight. You're, you're, I'm sure if you like took the average of it, you would definitely be telling your, your men, your male clients, like, Hey, drop the weight females. Hey, you probably want to increase a little bit more. Cause I do notice that like, I am pushing them to, it's like you look at their progressions and I definitely have to push them a little bit more. I mean, uh, granted there are some or still, you still have to kind of tell them to back off. But for the most part, it's like, it seems like you're kind of having to tell the female clients, Hey, to, to increase weight a little bit more. And then too, on the, on the weight thing, I feel like with the men, you know, part of that probably too, is obviously it's, it's tougher to recover from heavier weights, but also, you know, if they are using, you know, not most ideal form, like that's going to put some wear and tear on joints and, you know, things that, aren't necessarily supposed to be hit during those lifts. And I feel like that can wear on them to where they're, they can't recover from as much training volume, you know? No, no, absolutely. And then I would say the final difference, like men versus women is just, I mean, it's primarily just exercise selection and where you're allocating people's volume really like most men are going to want to put more emphasis on their chest. Whereas most women don't care too much about being jack packs. Right. Or, Again, like typically women want to focus a little bit more on glutes, hamstrings. Most dudes don't care at all about their glutes. Like I want to get jack quads. So, and I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with whatever you want to focus on, but again, like, or like traps are another good example of that. Right. Like, and it's just all about like, Hey, maybe for this dude, we're going to give you more trap, like some direct trap work, some more quad volume. Hey, on the flip side, maybe we're going to allocate this more to like delt work and a little bit more glute work. Um, and really, I think that's where the primary difference is. I would say, well, there are these other things we discussed. 
I don't think that it impacts the way you program tremendously. Um, I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts on that? No, that was good. I, I had that written down too. Uh, you know, again, with, with females, it's going to be more like focus. Uh, like you said, gua- uh, guats, glutes and glutes and hamstrings um, for right. sure. Cause like, I don't know about you, but there's maybe been uh, just a few male clients that I've programmed like hip thrusts, for example, for or any like glute specific exercise, but females, it's definitely happens more. And then like you mentioned the delts, I feel like one thing that I find myself doing is definitely less chest for females and a little mm-hmm. bit more like overhead pressing first. Mm-hmm. And I don't do as much overhead pressing for men. And, and my reason for that is, is I feel like, again, to go back to the weight thing, I feel like a lot of guys want bigger chest. So you already do a lot of pushing, you throw in overhead pressing. And again, to go back to the form thing, guys just try to lift more weight than what they can handle. And I feel like when you start to add in overhead pressing, they just do a little too much and they need to, or yeah. with, with like, we just talked about females, you're, you don't have that issue as much. So you don't have to worry about them, like hurting sh- a shoulder or anything like that. For sure. But I mean, on the flip side, I'll say as well, like a lot of times men and women will come in and it's, Hey, maybe we do need to put more focus on like for a dude. Maybe we do need to put more focus on your glutes and your hamstrings. Cause right now, like your weakness there is kind of the rate limiter for you being able to build bigger quads. Or for women, like, hey, we need to put more focus on your chest and your upper back because that's kind of the rate limiter right now. You actually being able to build bigger delts. So again, like I think within like everything we talk about, it should be individualized. Um, so it's important to not take any of this as this is gospel. This is what everyone should do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like you said, you just, just because we said that doesn't mean, Hey, you should never program glutes for, for a male or chest for, for a female. So cool. Yeah, that was, I think that pretty much summed that up pretty well there again, keep it. There doesn't need to be any big changes. Um, again, I think it just comes down to how you're recovering from training and and what your goals are essentially. Um, cool. So, uh, had another, question from uh zach he's asked uh i I know he's been asked questions on your podcast as well but he just kind of wanted to hear our personal journeys on uh, massing slash gain gain phase slash your approach like maybe more so like lessons learned slash some some good tips uh for somebody on a massing slash gain phase for sure um i would say the biggest mistake that i've made in a building phase and i know we've talked about this a lot and i talked about this with most clients but is looking at it as, okay, I'm in a building phase. So thus I have a lot more flexibility. I can just play it pretty loose, right? Whereas like most people will go into diet phase and it's very like, okay, I don't have so much food to eat. So I'm gonna plan ahead more. I'm gonna make sure like I hit my nutrient timing on the nose, all these things. Whereas it's a lot easier to just get pretty laxadaisical with all that stuff when you're in a building phase, which I think is one of the biggest mistakes most people make because typically how that ends up playing out, at least I know how, how that's played out for me in the past is, okay, I'm training somewhere between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m., but typically then I would like get to the end of the evening and it's, okay, I have two hours until I need to go to bed and I've only eaten 1,500 of my 4,000 calories that I need to eat today. So basically what's going on is I'm training, but I'm basically still like eating the amount I would be eating if I was in a deficit all day and then just trying to cram all my food in <laughs> at the end of the night, right? Which is, so of course, not ideal for building muscle. And I mean, I think again, another mistake I've made is looking at it kind of like applying the same thought process as in fat loss, where it's like, well, if I hit my protein daily and I, my calories are on point across the course of the week, I'll get the same, I'll get the result, right? Which is true for fat loss. But when it comes to building muscle, it is much more, okay, in the acute setting, like one to two hours before I train, how well am I fueling myself? 
And there's not like a magic anabolic window, but probably do want to, again, get a good amount of carbs and protein within like one to two hours post-training as well. And I, I would say that for me, and like, this is probably the most common thing I address with clients in a building phase, neglecting that has been one of the biggest mistakes I've made. And it's, it's super like even more so than a battleless phase, like to be able to build muscle, what you do in the micro setting of the day to day is super important. So now I approach like my building phase, just like I would a phallus phase where basically every Sunday night, I'm going to build my sample meal plan for Monday. I'm going to make sure that my pre and post workout macros are exactly how I want them to be. Um, and then just stick to that and kind of rinse and repeat it. Because I think again, like most people go into, well, I'm just going to wing it. I have so many calories to work with. And again, then it's typically you're cramming all your carbs into that, 8 p.m. meal when it's okay these would have been so much more advantageous if they were like parry workout right um and people leave a lot on the table there i would say that's probably one of the biggest mistakes i've made um i don't know what are your thoughts on that yeah i i agree i think handle like just thinking that you don't have to be as I don't want to say rigid, but just not paying attention as much as you would during a, like a fat loss phase, I think is a, is a big mistake for sure. Cause like you said, it just gets easy to under eat or, uh, like you said, you have times where you don't eat for a while. And yeah, I mean, I think that can be something that again, it adds up over time. Um, yeah. and, and, and being in, like you said, going too long with, without eating, which is easy to do. You know, you would think that for a lot of people, it's like, what, that, that doesn't make any uh-huh. sense. How, how does that happen? But it, it easily happens, you know, especially when you start working and you've got other things going on that, you know, it's easy to, to do that and, and not eat, um, for a while. And so, yeah, I think, I think the workout period is super important for, it's very important, like when you're cutting, but it's also very important for training too, because I mean, what our main goal or when you're building, because the main goal of building is to build muscle and like, you want to make sure you're fueled up for your training. Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. And that's, I think people forget, like, I, I would say that past the beginner stage, building muscle is harder than losing fat, right? Whereas people kind of look at it as, from a nutritional perspective, at least like, I don't need to worry about my nutrition as much when I'm in a building phase. Well, yes, you have more calories to work with, but I just wouldn't let yourself like get in, get too loose with it because then it can pretty easily be like, well, I actually felt like shit during most of my training sessions through this building phase, but I gained a lot of fat because I was cramped, not because not just because you're eating calories at night, of course, not like that's making you fat, but Again, I still ate a ton of calories, but again, my training was shitty because I wasn't feeling myself properly. I was seeing all these calories like 12 hours later. So I still gained the fat, but not really the muscle. Um, that's typically how I try to lay it out for people. Yeah. I, I have to say like one thing that, that's coming to my mind now that I'm, that I'm thinking about as we're talking about this is like, just like do not having a going too fast with it essentially I think mm-hmm. is, is one thing like uh, you know I think when people hear like they need to be in a building phase they, they just try to rush the process and they try to oh, gain yeah. as much as they can and it's like ooh, that you know the more we find out about that that's uh, you know you're gonna it's not there's not gonna be any benefit of doing that you can't speed up the muscle building process like you have to just take it slow you know what I mean and right. but at the same time you also have to make sure that you're not going too slow to where then it's like you're not getting enough calories in um, and so one thing that I was going to, that 
is interesting to me and I'm just kind of curious to hear your thoughts on it is how like people are kind of looking for that magic, like just like they look for that magic calorie amount to lose weight. They also are looking for that magic calorie amount to, to gain weight as well. And, you know, come to find out, you know, your body adapts upwards as well, just as it adapts downwards. And so like, I think maybe stressing the importance of like focusing on like weekly weight gain rather than an actual caloric amount and maybe explain why that's so important there. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and I would say, and you probably seen this a little bit, I have been less focused on, Hey, we have to for sure gain like 0.25 to 0.5% of body weight every week, regardless. Whereas now more and more I'm looking at how is your training performance? How are you rating that? Is that good? How's your recovery? Is that good? Is your motivation training good? And then I'm looking through clients' logbooks. Every week I'm looking through yours. How did you progress on this movement from the previous week, from two weeks ago to this last week? Are you progressing well there? Okay. Like those are pretty damn good signs that we're building muscle. So thus, if it is like we are seeing a way to stay pretty similar, but everything else is telling us we're building muscle um, and hunger is very low. Hunger is like a one or sometimes a two. Then I'm typically okay with, hey, we don't necessarily need to push weight quite so much. Over the over the course of time, you should be gaining weight, but I think it can be to the point where you're just unnecessarily getting fluffy. Um, that said, like, so this is honestly something that I'm kind of torn on as of late. Uh, I do still like aiming for like 0.25 to 0.5% of body weight gained over the course of a week, but really like typically how it'll work is like someone will see a big jump in weight, their weight will stay the same. And then we'll see like a slight increase. So looking at it on a monthly basis rather than like week to week, because again, most people will see like a big jump, things will stay stable, big jump, things will stay stable. So it's important to like not freak out if you see a big jump, but also not be too quick to adjust if it's like, Hey, it's a week and I haven't gained X amount of weight yet. But I mean, if we look at it, like over time, since you shouldn't be in a deficit, you shouldn't be losing fat, right? So if over time you're not gaining any weight, you're probably just not building muscle either. So I think it's important, but I would also say, I think it's easy to get a little bit too aggressive. And so like you're an example of, and I guess we actually just increased your calories yesterday, but, um, but before that, like Things were staying pretty similar, but your numbers look good. You felt good in your training. Your recovery was good. Your motivation was great, right? And I was seeing you progress very well in the logbook. So, hey, we don't, I'm not in a rush to increase your calories just because you're not like gaining quite as quickly as we wanted to see you weight wise. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it sounds like it's, again, it's, it's a little bit less emphasis on the week to week change and in, in weight there and more so just, you know, hey, if all these things are going well, if you're recovering well, training performance is going well, like, all those things are going well. It's there's no need to just needlessly add calories because ultimately what that's going to do is maybe just add extra unnecessary fat essentially. And so it's like, again, we want to make sure that we're trending up over time, but we don't need to get caught up week to week. And I I definitely noticed that with myself for sure. And this is something that, you know, it's made me realize with building phases, like it, it does seem like it's more like fat loss is more just linear like there are going to be some mm-hmm. weeks where you plateau but it definitely seems more linear whereas like when clients are in building phases it definitely seems like you said you have a couple weeks where it's stale or it, it's uh stagnant and then all of a sudden there's just like this huge increase in in, yeah. in weight it's weird i mean I, that happened Always to me like that, that just happened to me 
you know, last week, right. Where it was like, it was mm-hmm. stagnant for like two, three weeks. And then all of a sudden it just increased. And I, I vaguely remember that happening again. Like, I think if you go through it, like it happened to me a couple of times in the last building phase too, which is kind of weird, but yeah, that seems to be, again, I don't know exactly why that is, but that seems to be how it is for most everyone. Very few people, even like on a weekly basis, see a linear gain. Whereas most people like in a fat loss phase, if we extrapolate it across a week, like they're still losing at like about the same rate per week. It's where again, it is more like monthly for building for whatever reason. Yeah. Just be Yeah. Again, just with anything, don't be too, don't, you don't need to be needlessly aggressive with it. You know, if you're, right. unless your training's not going well and you're, you know, it's been yeah. months on end without gaining weight, then obviously you need to. One, one other thing I wanted to uh, bring up too, and this is something that I commonly see. I, I just had like a strategy call with a guy and he was having trouble gaining weight. And one thing that I, I feel like a lot of people struggle with too, is they, they hear high protein. And so they go super high protein in building phases, which obviously we want high protein, but I feel like sometimes they can go too high and that mm-hmm. can cause a, a lot of satiation there and they don't want to eat as much and just a focus on too much, like, and this is not necessarily a bad thing, but again, if you're stuck and you can't gain weight is too much of a focus on nutrient dense foods over calorie dense foods. I think some people are just super scared to gain any amount of body fat that they're, they, they think that if they have any of these types of foods, they're, uh, they're just going to gain a bunch of body fat. But I do think that they can be very useful and, and a tool that a lot of people don't use uh, very often. No, during no absolutely. Phases. Absolutely. And that's like food quality is important, right? I mean, and even like so many of like the different micronutrients that you take in are going to dictate like the health of your cells, which is going to be an important piece of this as well. But like if you're eating mostly whole foods, like 80 to 90%, even like 80%, that's not going to hurt your health or your results. Like once you take those boxes, you don't get bonus points for eating more. And it does... Like I had, I have a client that I'm working through this with currently where like his food logs are just entirely whole unprocessed foods. And for him, it's like, actually like, man, my digestion and like, I almost like the gap IBS, like all these things. And I think all these veggies really early are like giving me trouble, but he's just always eating like that. And doctors have just said like, yo, you probably have IBS, but it's like, no dude, like it's very normal. You're eating so many cruciferous vegetables that it's not a surprise at all that you're having digestion issues and we could actually like dial this back and you don't necessarily have to replace that with like Gatorade instead of broccoli, but it, we can at least like swap this for like maybe some berries or again, like you could work in some Gatorade because your, your food logs are entirely whole foods and it wouldn't be detrimental. And really you'd probably get better results there because your digestion would be better. Thus you'd be better able to absorb all these nutrients and actually turn them into muscle rather than like, focusing so hard on quote unquote eating clean foods that it's actually kind of making you feel terrible. It's, it's an interesting, I don't know if dichotomy is the right word there, but it's, it's interesting how like that can be taken a little bit too far as well to the point that actually hurts results. Yeah. And I think it also makes it, you know, I mean, when you, when you eat or have to eat a decent amount of calories for, for months on end, you know, I think it can definitely get boring and, and it definitely spices it up a little bit. I feel like if you can add some more tasty foods in, uh, it, it, at least for me, like, cause you know, like for example, I, I always have my oatmeal in the morning, but man, like when I get deep into a building phase, I usually like when I'm like maintaining or cutting, I'm like, I can't wait to eat my oats in the morning. But dude, when I'm in a building <laughs> phase, it's like, oh, man, I just can't wait to get this breakfast over with, really honestly, <laughs> which, no, which is, good. you know, definitely, uh, <laughs> you feel bad saying that because some people are just like, just want to eat more and whatever, but just part of the process, I guess. So 
the any anything else that you wanted to add on that was there anything else like any other mistakes or lessons that you wanted to add or do you feel like you, you hit them pretty well there hmm. i don't think so i mean i would say make sure you're still like i would say the only other mistake i've made is like thinking okay i'm in a building phase i can just do just endless amounts of volume and training and you also have to make sure like during that that i think it's easy to focus on the calories and the training and forget about the actual recovery side of things with like your sleep and stress management and your caffeine intake right i know we were talking about that off air too like that's probably for me personally that's probably the thing that is hardest is like well i'm nailing my macros um i'm hitting my i'm hitting my training i'm pushing hard but okay i'm neglecting my sleep and my stress management and all these things and i think just understanding too like that's probably one of the most overlooked pieces of it and if you don't have those things in place as well you're not going to be recovering and growing but i think that's really all i have no that is a really good point you bring up i mean those are for especially for building muscle like those are so important like i know for fat loss like obviously those things are going to be important too but i feel like they they play an even bigger role when you are trying to build and maintain lean muscle i know i know when you get a, just one poor night of sleep i know it lowers your muscle protein synthesis the next day and like that's you know that's no that's no good so it's right. you know one of those things where just one night of sleep like that can can really hurt and uh, I definitely think it's important. And then, like you said, caffeine and caffeine can be something that if you have too late can affect your sleep and yeah, it can just kind of be this trickle down effect, but caffeine is like, like you said, is just tough to wean off of. And, and oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it just is, you know, especially if you're used to having it all the time. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. I think those things are underrated, but very important. Um, I think if you want to take that, if you feel stuck and you want to take that next level or get, take it to the next level, you need to focus on those boring things like stress management, recovering, sleep, all that. So uh, Jack actually brought up something uh, very interesting. I asked him if he had any questions for us and he wanted to, uh, he wanted us to talk about, and I'll, I'll kind of like sum it up here as, as to what this looked like. But he said he heard about Chad Ochocinco. You know who he is, the yeah, football player? Uh -huh. He said that, I guess there's this thing going around. I don't know how recent it was. And I kind of remember this, but like his, his diet, like essentially he has a weird diet during the, the season. Essentially he was a, uh, he, he said it was dirty bulking with McDonald's. So I kind of looked it up and I guess he was on a, a podcast. Um, Chad Ochocinco was, and he talked about kind of what his playing days were like, what his diet was like. And basically to sum it up, it was basically uh, for breakfast, it was McDonald's hotcakes with sausage, uh, sausage McMuffin and a large orange juice. Uh, his snack was a uh, pop tarts and six boiled eggs. Uh, lunch was a Bahama breeze, curry chicken, pasta, extra chicken and no asparagus. And for dinner, he had three legs of fried chicken, candied yams, macaroni and cheese, sweet water cornbread, and a slice of chocolate cake. And so I think he just kind of wanted us to talk about this. And I have some interesting takes on it, but I'm curious to kind of hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, we'll just kind of go from there. I mean, it basically sounds like you're eating a high-carb, high-protein diet, which I would say, like, that's on, not that I would recommend a client follow that, but... Like from a macros perspective, he was probably getting about what he like. He's going to need a ton of carbs. I trained it as an NFL athlete, where he's doing lots of explosive, like running routes as a wide receiver. He's getting in a good amount of protein there. I would, of course, still prefer like, hey, let's get in more micronutrients, more fruit, more veggies, and like, again, with those nutrients, you'll probably feel better and perform better. But again, like from a, if you're like not really applying a ton of strategy to what you're doing. And like a lot of athletes would just like, 
okay, so rather than getting like the hot cakes and sausage, maybe I'm going to get like, I don't, I don't know, like, so just some six chicken McNuggets, right? And then I'm underfueled. Plus I'm focusing more on like fat and protein versus carbs and protein. I think that's the mistake that a lot of athletes make like a not eating enough, which it doesn't sound definitely wasn't the case for him. And then B definitely not getting in enough carbohydrates. Whereas like from his perspective, he was choosing like all very carb heavy foods. So I would like to see like more fruits, more veggies in there, of course, like from a micronutrient perspective and a health perspective and like a healthier body is going to be a more responsive body. But I know, I know you had Brandon Cruz on the podcast. Hopefully he listens to this, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I heard him say that. And I've been saying it ever since. Cause it is so, it is so true though. Like, uh, but again, like, I don't think by any means, like relative to what a lot of athletes who like start with us have been doing from a macro perspective, that's pretty solid. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I, once you said that, uh, I, I knew you were talking about Brandon there. Uh, I was like, I, that sounds really familiar lately, but yeah. Uh, with, but with this, so again, like you said, I think it just basically, it comes down to like, it's just a very calorie dense diet essentially. And kind of what we were just talking about there and, and, and Chad Ochocinco probably is just a guy that he just expends a lot of energy, especially right. during training and, and uh, you know, while he's playing football. And I think also one thing that probably goes that people forget about too, is, you know, I mean, he's in the NFL, so there's going to be some genetics involved and he probably genetically is just able to <laughs> like, you know, some people can just handle that type of food better. I feel like, you know, right. um, yeah. And so I think that that's part of it, but yeah, I mean, he just expends so much energy. And I think, again, this shows the importance of just calories in calories out, you know, where, and how it's just going di- to differ from person to person. Now, like you said, I think that there's ideally you would see some more nutrient dense foods in here, but a lot of athletes, like you talked about, just under eat, they don't eat enough and right. they probably focus too much on trying to fit in, you know, quote unquote, healthy foods. Um, and so, yeah, I think that overall, like, could it be cleaner? Like you said, and, and more nutrient dense? Yes. But for, for him and what he did, like he could eat all these calories and, and, you know, it, it wasn't going to do anything. He's still super lean. There's a picture they have of him on here in this article. I mean, he's got abs, he's pretty shredded. So, <laughs> but it, but it's crazy. Um, but I, I could see how people see this and they, they think that, oh, okay, well I can just kind of eat whatever I want, but you know, people yeah. have to realize that, you know, he's, you know, I, I don't know what the training looks like for NFL player, but I'm just going to assume, I mean, these guys are going to need thousands of calories a day to you right. know maintain their weight. Um, so yeah. Right. And that's what I imagine at least like they're going through hours of practice daily. Um, he's probably strength training at least four to five days per week outside of that. And then tons of movement outside of that and really prioritizing recovery outside of that. Like his, that's the thing, like you said, like if he was just eating tilapia and broccoli and potatoes, he probably wouldn't be able to hit his calorie goals. Right. So, uh, and yeah, the context of it is super important because most of us aren't doing near that much activity, but yeah, I agree, man. And you know, he's, he's a professional athlete, so no one's going to tell him, Hey, you need to change this up. I mean, if it's been working for him, you know, it, it, it works for him, but again, probably for most people, again, I think you need to realize this guy is in the NFL. He's literally the lead of the elite here. I mean, not many right. people get to say they're in the NFL. And so I think that, you know, t- realizing that too, that <laughs> this guy is, uh, an outlier to say the least, yeah, I feel like for absolutely. sure. 
Um, but, but it's interesting. I, I, I love seeing these things cause yeah. Then, but then you have like, I know LeBron James had his diet where like he, he did like the ketogenic diet and off season and then people thought that that was a way to go. And it's just, it's yeah. just funny to hear some of these people's, these athletes diets. I um, think following like an athlete's diet or training program is an awful idea for almost everyone. Like I know when we were in like high school and the start of college, me and the dude I lifted with were always like, okay, this is whatever Patrick Willis's training program and he's jacked so that's for sure what we need to do also and it's uh no that's not how you should be training right yeah you should no i i've been there i remember uh i don't know if you ever remember this guy he was on like muscle farm stuff for a while the leron landry uh, oh yeah that dude, dude. Was so, <laughs> that dude was so huge i I remember, I remember seeing some pictures of him and I was like, I remember I told my buddy, I'm like, I'm going to look like that. And it's like, dude, that guy is just, (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, he's just on another level. And I think he actually, believe it or not, he, he, yep. I was going to say he got busted for PDs and he's kind of just not even, I haven't heard anything from him uh, lately, but I can only imagine what, what his diet looked like, but yeah, he was, he was definitely goals for me for a while. You know, that's hilarious. I remember that same thing. He was like on the top of the muscle farm assault pre-workout. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Yep. And like, I know like too, he, they, they would like post workouts of the day and stuff like that. And I, I remember looking over some of these dude and like, holy shit. I mean, the volume on it was just unbelievable. Oh, yeah. I wish I had I used to I, do those same workouts all the time. Oh my God. I, I look now I'm just like, that's literally like two weeks worth of bat volume in, <laughs> Isn't in that crazy? I did the same thing though, man. And I've thought about that many times where like, I don't know how the fuck did I do that? Like there's no, and that was like when I was in college where it was, I would skip half my classes anyways to literally my one goal in college was just to get jacked and get drunk three times a week. Right. So <laughs> it was very much like, okay, well I can't sleep eight or nine hours tonight. I'm skipping. If I go to class, I'm easily skipping that class. And like, it's so much different from that perspective, but also like from an execution perspective, like as you learn more and more, like doing like 20, 30 sets of back, for example, in a single training, they would just absolutely wreck you now. It's so funny how that changes though. Yeah, no, right. If you did that workout now and like, you know, with the things that we know now, like you said, you probably wouldn't be able to move for, for weeks. I know, I know with LaRon Landry, like that's when I, I was in college too, when, when I saw all that, like we kind of just talked about mistakes with building. And that was one thing where I went through that phase where I was just like, I'm trying to put on as much weight as I can. And I definitely put on weight, but you know, I definitely, it was more, it was a lot of, and it was extra body fat. And I, I remember it like part of the reason I did that was so I could look like LaRon Landry. So it's kind of funny. He got, <laughs> he got brought up in this. You didn't get any taller though? Uh, that did not happen. And that was one thing that I forgot about was, you know what? He's a little bit taller than me. Don't worry. You're not, you're, you're not the only one and you won't be the last person, but you know what? (laughs) I will say I used to, you know, used to be self-conscious about my height, but uh, it, it helps me out with what I'm trying to go for now. So (laughs) you you short guys got it good. It's easier to look Jack. That's yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, what I yeah. tell myself, anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that's what I hear from all the tall guys. Is yeah, you guys got it lucky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, but yeah. So just to sum it up, basically, you know, he just is Chad Ochocinco is legit. Just able to, yeah, he expends a lot of energy, and you know, he's able to eat stuff like that. I definitely is not something that you would recommend somebody that is like most people nowadays, where they're just sedentary, don't don't move a lot, you know. 
those people, if they eat that type of diet, they're going to be gaining, you know, 10 pounds a month at least. Yeah. So yeah, probably not the best approach. Cool. Um, so I know it's, uh, you know, three or four, my time, do you still have time for a couple more questions? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so the next one is about creatine. Uh, and, and again, this comes from Zach and he said his wife was asking about this, but, uh, he put water weight slash bloating. What's your experience uh, with this? And do you notice any type of, uh, I guess just kind of give your thoughts on it as well. Um, I feel like creatine is basically worse than taking meth. Uh, <laughs> I've, been, I've been getting a ton of creatine questions lately. It's super interesting. Um, I don't know why. No, creatine is great. I mean, if you look at the water, yes, creatine does make you hold more water but it's intramuscular, right? So thus it's going to be within your muscles. You're going to be more water within your muscles, better hydration. You're going to look more jacked. It's if anything, it's just gonna make your muscles look bigger, which in turn will make the rest of your body look slightly smaller and leaner. So, I mean, well, yes, you should be retaining some more water there. It's not like, wow, I'm holding 10 pounds of water in my belly all of a sudden because I started taking creatine, right? No, it's, water the shuttle intramuscularly so that's that's important to understand you might see the scale creep up a bit um because you're retaining that water but it won't be like again like wow my belly's just hella bloated now because i started taking creatine yeah that that's my thought on it it's you know i i feel like with all the benefits it may provide um i feel like a little bit of water weight gain is uh just, just something that it's like, whatever, it's just not a big deal. It's just water weight. You know, I, I feel like the pros outweigh the cons of it, which literally the only con is the potential water weight gain. And like you said, it's, it's, it's in your muscle. So it just makes your muscles look bigger, you know? Yeah, no, that's, I would say, if you think that creatine is making you bloated, it's probably not the creatine either. It's in your head or it's something else that's making you bloated. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's, it's probably not that. And, and I kind of, I talked to, uh, this was like months ago when I had him on, but Dr. Ant- uh, Jose Antonio, I asked him about mm-hmm. creatine and I asked him about that. And he just goes, well, I mean, if you feel like it, it does that to you, like causes water weight retention, then, you know, maybe it's just not the best supplement for you to take. You know, I mean, ultimately like there's no way, you know, it, some people do retain water, but there's, there's just nothing you can do about it, you know? Um, but again, the, the pros probably outweigh the cons of it. I agree. Um, and then to, uh, with creatine, I was going to say something else on creatine. I, I don't know what it is, but, but again, I think creatine is a supplement that it's cheap. Um, there, it has a lot of potential benefits. And so I think it's something that most people should probably look into. Obviously though, I, you know, it, it has the most research behind it and, and it can really help with performance and things like that. But I think people also need to realize that it's not going to be like this magic supplement either though, even though right. it has a bunch of, uh, research behind it. Right. No, absolutely. That's, I don't, you're not going to take creatine and holy shit, like that's crazy. Um, I don't think you'll ever actually notice a difference from creatine. I've never noticed a difference from creatine from like my muscles feeling or looking any different feeling bloated or like from a performance perspective. And I think that's really how it is for most everyone. It's just, uh, yeah, maybe you like were able to do another rep where you wouldn't have been able to on the set for last week. Right. But it's such a small, and of co- over time that adds up, but it's a, a relatively small difference. 
Yeah, that's that's what I like to tell people because I think people think creatine is going to be the a supplement that you take one time and it's going to be like caffeine and you're going to notice the the benefits of it. But really, with with creatine, you have to take it consistently. Like, if if it's going to be something that you take sporadically, like before workout every every once and again, it, you're just kind of, I mean, it's not expensive, but you're just wasting your money, unfortunately. Right. Um, and so you just need to take it consistently and it's going to give you, you know, a little bit of a, of a benefit. And I think really that just kind of shows you how important, like the role supplements play in all this is that it really isn't that big of a role. It's just a, a very small one, but you know, again, it, we know it works. And so it's just a safe option to take. And, and then too, you know, there's more research on it in terms of like cognitive function and it can help with recovery. And again, none of this stuff is like, it for sure does that, but there's, uh, uh, it can potentially do that in people. And I think that again, it's, it's a cheap supplement. So it, it just has, a, it's a low risk, high reward supplement, essentially. No, no, absolutely. I agree. Low, low risk, moderate reward, supplement, <laughs> not high. <laughs> there you go. Then, Cause then I feel like high reward makes it seem like it's going to give you all these, these huge benefits and it's, it's probably not um, no. other than, but cool. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess, um, I know you said you had a question or two. Is there any that you want to specifically go over? Um, I had one asking, should you track artificial sweeteners in your macros? I'm interested to hear your take on that. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would just track, like, again, we know that most artificial sweeteners aren't going to have any, any calories. So in that regard, I don't think you necessarily need to track it for that. I do think that it may be a good idea to track, you know, like if say it's a diet soda or something like that, I think it would be a good idea to just see how many you're having, because I think if you're starting to have too many, I think that it can have some potential downsides, but I think one or two a day, you're going to be fine. Like for example, this is something I see a lot with clients is, um, I've no, you know, people will be like, Oh, I need to cut out like the diet rock star or something like that. And it's like, well, why? And then like they, right. they cut it out and then all of a sudden they do, they, they do lose a good amount of water weight. Cause I feel like sometimes for whatever reason, it can cause some people to retain some water. And so by cutting that out, I think that it can help with that. And so I think maybe there it could be beneficial, but otherwise I don't see the point of tracking it unless it's becoming something that you're just having too much of essentially. I agree. I'm, I'm not sure if, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fear mongering about artificial sweeteners tell where like, Artificial sweet, but I mean, artificial sweeteners in isolation aren't going to cause fat gain. I would say, unless it is, if it's something with no caloric value, I, I don't have any of my clients track it. Um, again, unless it's like, hey, which this isn't a situation that I've actually come across, but if it was like, hey, we somehow like came to the conclusion that maybe this is irritating your gut, in order to like try and identify like what's causing these digestive issues okay, maybe we need to track like very similar to what you said, right? Like maybe we should start tracking those so we can look at, okay, you had a diet rock star with lunch and then your gut was super irritated after that. Okay, cool. Then we can like pinpoint things like that. <laughs> Past that, I would say no. I, from my perspective, I don't think it's anything that needs to be tracked unless it's in something that has calories in it. Right, yeah. If it has calories in it, yes, because then you need to, you know, and, and something to look out for. I, I, I've been noticing this a little bit more. For example, actually, uh, this, this pre-workout that I'm taking, um, and then certain like energy drinks too, you know, it says low sugar, zero sugar, whatever you do need to look out because, uh, I know I've been drinking 3d energy mm -hmm. drinks from time to time. Those have like 15 calories in it. Okay. Oh, really? and, yeah. And so you just need to, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've run into this issue where people think that those have zero in it. And it's like, well, again, you're not going to have that many to where it's going to add up, but you know, if you're having a lot of those things like that in your, 
diet, you know, it could be something that, you know, if you're in a fat loss phase and you're deep into it, you're super lean, like, you know, that things like that could add up and it could be causing you to, you know, maintain. Um, but yeah, I think with anything though, like just too much, like too much of something probably isn't good. So I think if you're having, you know, two, three, four artificial sweetener drinks per day, you probably need to look into that a little bit and see what's, what's going on there. Um, with yeah. it. Artificial sweeteners are an interesting one. And I would say I don't lean super hard one way or the other. Like, you know, lean Norton's like, fuck everybody that thinks the artificial sweeteners are bad. Cause and then on the flip side, like there's people that like are very, very against it. I, and it, we just haven't researched it that much. It's not going to like give you like the, there's like the bullshit about like sucralose is going to give you cancer. And like, that's, that's not true. Right. Like if you did, if you look at those studies, they were so poorly done. Um, but I mean, like probably moderation is a good idea. Um, yeah. Um, you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think moderation, again, if, if it's like one or two a day, you're, you're fine. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you're, it's, it's not going to cause any, any issues, but yeah, as far as tracking, like you said, just no, as long as it doesn't have any, any calories on it. Absolutely. Cool. Um, I do have one more question if you have time for it. Let's get it. Cool. So somebody asked best step tracking device, um, any input on the aura rings? I have never used an aura ring personally, so I can't give any input there. I think like the data they collect, I believe they do like heart rate variability and whatnot, correct? You know, I honestly don't know. I don't know much about the aura ring, to be honest with you. <laughs> I would say it sounds like neither of us know enough about the aura ring to actually give a good take on it. I don't think any of my clients actually, I don't think I have a single client or nor have I in the past who's used an aura ring either. So I'll say it's not something we use. As far as step trackers go, um, just any wearable. And again, it's, I've only used an Apple watch, so I can only speak on that. It seems to work great. Or my step counter on my phone. Probably that's probably a little bit less accurate. So I would just get something to wear on your wrist. I would say like, no matter what, that's an easy one to overthink where no matter what, it's going to be a little bit less accurate, but it's kind of like, what's the best scale? What's the most accurate scale I can buy? Well, it doesn't really matter. Like if the scale weighs you five pounds heavier or five pounds lighter than your true weight, as long as you can consistently see your average and see that it's trending down. Or in this case, like if you're consistently inaccurate to the same degree, then you're actually accurate, right? Because we can still see exactly where you're at over time. And that's the most important thing. So really like, I think any wearable I've never, I mean, my clients have Fitbits, what garments, whatever. I don't think it makes a big difference. I think the most important thing is getting something that's easy for you to access. We can see your steps and so you're aware of it. I I agree hundred percent. I think this is something you could probably look into way too much. And mm-hmm. it's just like you said, you just need to stick with one. And, and if you enjoy it, it's, it's easily accessible for you. Like that, that's the one you should go with. Cause it really, like you said, whatever it, it does, it's, probably going to be accurate to what you're doing. And even if it is a little inaccurate, like as a whole, as long as it's, it's consistently inaccurate for you, I think it's that that's the most important thing. And then like to go to like the aura ring and like the, the whoop, or I think it's a whoop, the one that like tracks all this stuff. Like I, I think that that stuff can be useful, but I also feel like it can, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I also feel like it can add a lot of extra noise to the situation Mm -hmm. where it's like, people are like, well, I feel great. I slept great, but my whatever says I didn't sleep great. And it's just like, I don't know. I feel like at that point you just need to focus on like how you feel and that's going to be more important than what something tells you. 
No, I had uh, Joel Jameson's Morpheus, which is basically like a variation of the whoop, 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 whatever it is. And uh, I had the same thing. Like I would wake up and okay, I have to train today. Like this is the only day of the week that I can make this work. Fuck, my recovery score is only a 69. <laughs> like, uh, fuck, I feel like shit now. And it's, I yep. think sometimes, I think that if you're focusing on getting the best sleep, the best recovery, regardless, like sometimes the detriment of seeing that number can be, if you do have a ton of flexibility and it's like, okay, I can push my session back to tomorrow and be perfectly fine. Then, and I know my recovery would be better tomorrow than today, then that's great. But I don't think a lot of people actually like in, that we coach or even us like have the option to do that. So I think a lot of times it can be more detrimental. Yeah. It's just, again, to, almost, almost too much information. And that stuff is cool. And I'm sure there's, there's uh, some use for it and, and you can probably f- find a way to make it work. But I, I think it probably gives you just a little too much um, information uh, sometimes. Yeah. I, and I found too, like, clients that are too focused on recovery is super fucking important but clients that get too focused on like things like that can almost sometimes forget like hey a big piece of this is we just need you to come in and work really hard right and that's like a big piece of the results and i think like like you said there can be so much noise to like hey my recovery score is this instead of this and it's like yo, you're focusing so much on recovering your sleep that you didn't train this week. <laughs> like, <Yep. laughs> no matter what, you're not going to get results like that. So it's, I think that sometimes it can, like we can get a little bit too focused on things like that as well. But again, it is super fucking important and I'm all for tracking stuff. Um, it's just a fine line. Yeah. I, I talked to Brandon about this on the episode the other day. It's just like, you know, if you're feeling good, like that's really the most important thing, you know, that's going to lead to more, better things. I feel like, whereas if you're not feeling good, no matter what things are saying like that needs, something needs to be checked. But if, if you're feeling good, I think to me, that's just the most important thing there. Oh yeah. No, for sure. And that's what even like, I know I have a night where my sleep wasn't the best. I won't. Cause even like my Apple watch gives me like how many hours of sleep I got. And if it's less than seven, I'll be like, fuck, I feel tired today. So I just will intentionally not check like what that number is. If I know my sleep wasn't great because otherwise that's just going to mess with my head. And like, there's not, uh, there's not really a benefit to that other than like, Hey, you probably need to fix whatever it was that caused your sleep issue before. But I don't, I don't know. It's my take. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool, man. Um, any, anything coming up, uh, that you want to share that's happening in the next couple of weeks or just same old grind, just doing your thing. It is about the same as always, honestly. Yep. Um, I think we talked about the rebrand last time we were on the show and it is still on the way. So hopefully by this time, actually probably not in the next, uh, maybe in the next podcast we do. No, actually probably not. Maybe two podcasts from now, it'll be out. Um, but basically we're just working on that. And yeah, that is basically it for me, dude. Cool. Yeah, I want to get at some point here in the next couple months, get you and Brandon on at the same time. I think that would be cool to kind of have a couple people on at the same time. I've never really had a uh, podcast episode like that before. So I think that I think a lot of people would like that. And so. <laughs> I will feel like a dumbass compared to Brandon, but I'm happy to add my two cents wherever I can. <laughs> yeah, he like we talked about he uh, I, I love how prepared he was for the podcast interview. It was it was, it was awesome. Um, no, but yeah, he, man, so smart. Yeah, how did you how did you come about finding Brandon? 
He was on uh, Brian Borstein and Aaron Stryker. Are you familiar? Yep. I listened, he was on one of their podcasts, and I was super impressed with them. I never heard of him before, but I feel like since then, since I've interviewed him and whatnot, I've been super I was surprised I hadn't stumbled across any of his content before. But yeah, such smart dude. I've learned a ton from him in the last couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very smart and a lot, lot of great content. And yeah, he's awesome. Uh, awesome as somebody to interview for a podcast too. So cool, absolutely. man. All right. Well, appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on again. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. dude. Thank you for having me.